Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. In this episode, I interview Carl Walgren, who's a serial award-winning entrepreneur, the CEO and founder of the children's education communication platform, Ed Soma. Uh, driven by a need to make an impact and leave a legacy, I speak to Carl about all things education, entrepreneurship and parenthood. So uh, let's pop over and have a listen. Kyle, it's good evening from the UK. Now, you're in Texas, aren't you? Yes, I am. It's actually uh, 1 p.m. right now, so midday. <clears throat> midday. Well, uh, well, it's dark here, so I'm assuming it's nice <laughs> and sunny. Is it nice and sunny where you are? Yeah, for now. We, we get, it gets dark here early right now. We're dark by about 5 o'clock, but we've got a couple more hours of sunlight anyways. I, I have fond memories of Texas because uh, years and years ago, when I was running the record company, we used to sell a shed lot of CDs into Texas. So there's a couple of distributors or importers who used to nice, really nice people. But then, of course, the digital, and we'll talk about digital in a second, the digital changed the entire way we sold music, including the end of CDs. But that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> now, now, Carl, thank you for taking time out, particularly on a Sunday. So thank you very much. Um, now, I know you're a sealer entrepreneur, so we'll, we'll go to the journey of what makes an entrepreneur and what, what, what took you on the path of entrepreneur. But let's, let's focus on your current venture, which is really intriguing. Um, and you're the CEO of a, I think, a startup. I think it's probably the best way to explain it, a startup of Ed Soma. Um, and it's an educational app, but it's an educational venture and they say in entrepreneurship, if you can resolve a social problem and make money out of it, that's quite honestly the most perfect business to have. So I'm going to throw it back to you now. Explain what this app is. Explain so, the problem you're going to resolve. It's very intriguing. When uh, you know the world shut down with the pandemic, we all started facing the same challenges. And here in America, we sent, you know, all our children home to be educated from their parents. And uh, one night while I was reading to my kids, I realized that um, if I'm their sole dependent of education at this time, the world's doomed kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because uh, I've, I've made it through life, but I'm a little bit more stronger willed than other people, I guess. Uh, and reading has never been my strong point. Uh, I was actually kicked out of school at grade nine. So I, I don't read 
you know, as strong as what I should in a position that I'm at in, in life, but I've made it here anyways. So uh, when I realized that I was, you know, trying to teach my children something that I couldn't, I, I figured out there was a problem. And then we started deep diving into the stats behind it. And we realized that, you know, 56 million adult Americans uh, couldn't read at all. 50% of America reads at a grade eight reading level or less. Um, so when you start looking at those stats, it gets kind of scary. And then when we started looking at the children's stats, how one third of children are entering pre-kindergarten without the basic fundamentals to um, adapt education, it just became really scary. So I started looking for some products, um, thinking it was, you know, 2020, they'd be readily available. Uh, and there was, you know, products where you could share uh, and communicate um, with entertainment type purposes, but there was nothing there that actually supported the adult or the parent trying to educate their kids. So that's when we started doing a deep dive into it. Um, we're actually sitting in a patent pending status with what we call a voice recognition word identification software that will pick up um, and help provide confidence to the parent while they're reading with the child. So if the parent or the child makes a mistake in reading, they'll be corrected automatically through AI. Uh, and it's developed a whole new type of platform. It allows you know, parents around the world to stay connected, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, military that are deployed, um, and be able to stay engaged in the whole educational experience. We've learned that children learn so much better from their parents than they actually do even their teachers because it's their most trusted source. So if we can provide you know, children the opportunity to learn with their parents and provide parents the ability to be comfortable and confident in teaching education or reading to their children, that children will have a chance at an earlier age to actually go further. And that's how we came up with the whole concept behind Edsoma um, from where it is today. So, so, so let me get this right. So there's two things here. Um, you can be educated, be, but be poor at teaching, or you can be poorly educated and therefore by implication going to be poor at teaching. Which one are you, which one are you referring to here? Well, really, we cover both. Um, you know, we, as a society, we look at our teachers to be educated because they hold the title of teacher right but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're teaching what we want them to be learning you know what i mean we're seeing and especially in the u.s a big pushback on what teachers are teaching um you know and seeing the confidence behind teachers because now we're getting a shortage in teachers because some of them don't want to be vaccinated there's you know that big pushback that you know we're not going to be told what we have to put in our bodies so we are seeing a change in the quality of teacher that's available right now. Um, but then also during the pandemic, we talked about educational gap and that uh, it always put the whole race thing into place. So what we wanted to do is create a, uh, a product that could be afforded by anybody that could be used by anybody, whether they were educated or uneducated and just provide the right type of support that they needed no matter where they were in their journey. And, and did you find, and, and, and I don't know if it's an answer, did you find the ones who weren't as educated as they'd like to have been, did they, were they, did they look at the software with a bit of trepidation because they didn't want to be seen to be not as well educated? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no. it, it makes a perfect sense. And it's a, it's a question that I had to answer myself. You know what I mean? I, I'm somebody that's been 
very successful. I've done multiple startups. I've had multiple successes and exits in my life. Um, so admitting that I was uh, illiterate or had poor literate skills was challenging for me. You know what I mean? It was a more or less a secret between myself and my assistant for a lot of years. I would have to have her proofread everything before it went out, you know, and then tools like Grammarly. I've been subscribed to Grammarly since it's been created um, and, and I lived off of it. So that it is a fear, you know what I mean? Um, to go out and say, hey, I can't do this. Uh, and usually people that stay away from or that can't do things stay away from them, you know what I mean? So uh, children aren't sitting at home reading with their parents that can't read because it's something their parents are uncomfortable with. So it just sets back the learning process in it. So when you can go and in, enter into your home, nobody has to know about it and you can read with your child and you can know that you're not gonna make that mistake and if you do make the mistake, it'll provide you the resources yourself to learn and, and teach yourself as well. Uh, you can do it a lot more confidently. So whether it was um, somebody, you know, lacking the skills or somebody that had the skills and just couldn't put them together or didn't know how to do it, we've had a great response from every demographic that we've piloted into. So, so, so let me tell you, so, so back in the UK, we, we have... Um... This is why it's fascinating. We have something called the productivity puzzle. And, and, and the reason why people aren't productive as they should be could be multitude of reasons. One could be they're not as mobile. In other words, the transport system isn't great. Or it could be, particularly if you're in the countryside, the digital connection isn't great. But overwhelming, one of the biggest problems around productivity is skills and education. The fact yes. that a generation of kids are affected because their parents weren't as highly educated as they should have been. So almost it goes generation to generation to generation. And, and what you then find, which is why I found what you're doing fascinating. So what you then find is those people generation after generation either don't get a high skilled job or remain and for generations the pattern continues and somewhere somewhere along the line we have to break the pattern and that's what's right. fascinated by your software because that's what it tries to do so i actually read a study when we were deep diving into this that the u.s economy predicts that it misses out on 2.2 trillion dollars a year because of lack of uh the ability to read so if, if the u.s is missing out on it the people around the world are missing out on it I also read, uh, interestingly, Carl, just picking up what you just said, the likelihood is, now this is interesting, is if the parents don't have a high education, they're more likely to get a low-income job. Also, now this is interesting, they're more likely to struggle financially. Yep. And because they're likely to struggle financially, they're more likely prone to mental illness. They'll have low self-esteem and a general inability to cope with problems. And interestingly, this is why your software is great. This behavior or this set of behaviors get passed on to the next generation. They pick it up it as well. And, and ultimately, it removes what we call social mobility. So the ability of people to move both socially up in terms of income stream and geographically and i think is that right that's what your software yeah, sort that, of looks to address is that right that's a big part of what we want to address and um i i i'm a 
education junkie kind of thing. I, I like <laughs> to be learning something all the time. And I was watching a documentary on, you know, crime. And, and they were talking about, you know, a lot of people are born into crime, um, not necessarily where they're taught to rob or something like that, but they might be in a community where that's all they know. You know what I mean? Um, but if, if those people are willing, and, and I feel like, uh, the idea of entrepreneurship can be viewed so many different ways. Um, you know, anything you do that is not for an employer for yourself to create revenue is a form of entrepreneurship. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So when you take, you know, people that are backed against the corner and they're robbing or they're selling drugs or, or something of that nature, they're really wasting their talent because yeah. they, they're, those are the kinds of people that are, are willing to step up and be that next level of entrepreneur. They're just doing the only thing they can figure out how to do. So if we can take, you know, that poor demographic and give them tools at a young age, the tools that they're missing now, we could create, you know, entrepreneurs that would change the world. Who knows on how many great entrepreneurs we lost the crime, you know what I mean? That could have changed the way we do things today just because they didn't know how to get out of that rut. Um, and we hope that, you know, by providing children the ability to read and parents the ability to read at such a young age at such an affordable price, we can make an impact on that. So let's, let's look at the model then. So um, it's a startup. So uh, I, I, my guess is just pre-revenue. Is, is that Pre-revenue. Um, we're actually, we're even only launched into a small uh, beta group um, just to make sure that we have everything working properly. You only get one shot at it, especially in education yeah. when you're working with children's lives. So we have some pilot groups put together that we're testing the software into. Um, we're looking to launch January 10th. Uh, it's an odd day, but it's my birthday. So I figured it'd be a good day to, to kick it off. So we're looking to launch January 10th uh, and start allowing people to use it. So in, in terms of growth then, um, what, what does the picture look like? How, how will you know? How will you know? What will success look like for you? How, how will you know you're doing and it's doing well? How will you know that? Well, um, we have a waiting list of over 2,000 applicants already um, and we haven't launched. Uh, so that makes me feel like we have something that people need. Uh, we've got, you know, thousands of responses of people asking for more information on the platform right now done through our, our pilot groups. Um, my goal is to be, you know, in the hands of 2 million people in the next three years. Uh, I, I think that's something achievable. And when you look at it, like, oh, is there 2 million people that want to learn to read? Um, they're, they're, that might be a far cry. But when you look at what we actually do, and we're an education platform designed to create confidence in reading. But when you look at people around the world, they have the opportunity to read or to learn languages because of American TV, because of American radio. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you go to Asia, they're listening to the Backstreet Boys or, you know, Garth Brooks, and, and they hear the English language all the time. So we feel like this is a tool that's going to be able to help people learn to read and speak around the world as well, or read and speak English around the world. We do have goals of reaching into other languages, obviously, um, once we get into that position. But I feel like this is a tool that can be utilized in, in so many different ways that we're, we're fundamentally an education platform, but we can be used in so many ways. I don't feel like that's going to be a hard number to achieve. You said um, this hit you like a bullet. 
during COVID. So, so my question to you now is, has COVID changed education forever? You talked about labor shortages, finding teachers. Has, has COVID and digital, particularly the role of digital during COVID, do you think that's changed education forever? I do, um, but maybe not in the way that you're actually asking the question, uh, but in the way that I feel like how we've taught children to adapt to the world. You know what I mean? We, we've pounded fear through the media into our children's eyes on both sides, no matter what um, party you vote for. Both of them are, are pounding one type of fear from one way to the other. You know, so I feel like education's a fear type education now. They've changed the the importance of what people are being taught. Um, you know, so parents are getting more involved today than they ever have been. You know, I couldn't remember when I was going to school having, you know, parents per outside the schools not agreeing with what the teachers taught because it wasn't, you know, something of that nature. But the importance of sending kids home and, and providing education to them uh, because so many parents are taking their children out of school now because they don't agree with what the schools are teaching. It's forever changed education in that sense. You know what I mean? And, 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 and do you think it's changed because of tech? Because the next generation learn in a different way to you and I, or certainly to me. Did, did you think digital is now going to be changing forever? The way I we do. traditionally I, thought of schools? I do. I just don't believe that we ever thought it was going to do that. Uh, and maybe we we're naive. Um, so I don't think we were prepared from a tech standpoint yet for education to change. We all looked at it. And until this happened, we didn't see the problem in education in the schools. Does that make sense? Or, yeah, or maybe yeah. people identified it, but not the masses like they are today. So now we have a mass amount of people identifying the problems within our education system and a whole uh, industry that has not been prepared to provide resources to these people. So I, I think it's going to forever change. I think we haven't seen even the, you know, the middle of the iceberg on how it's going to improve. Um, but I feel like this is a field that a lot of people are going to commit to over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years to develop things. Um, we've seen, you know, a huge push to this meta type universe in technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like school is not even touched, um, is not even being touched there yet. Uh, the opportunity to use uh, augmented reality to teach is, is gonna be a huge potential, um, you know, to be able to provide. We, we offer this service, uh, this avatar service on our platform. It'll come out in version two, uh, where the avatar will pick up the mannerisms of the parent. So if the parent's unavailable um, to work with the child at that time, the avatar can teach with the child, but use the mannerisms of the parents just to give them that sense of comfort, if that makes sense, right? So um, the idea of technology and education, I don't even feel like they've started to, to get to where it needs to be. That's fascinating, isn't it? Using augmented reality, IA, artificial intelligence. Uh, Carl, I'm with you on this, and, I, and I'll tell you why I think this. Um, so traditionally, um, if you left, if you left a university, example, um, within a year, two years, whatever you've learned is out of date, completely out of yeah. date. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and 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 I think what tech is doing, I think it'll change the way we learn. It'll change the structure of learning. So it'll now say, well, I'll tell you what, do two years instead of three years. Do two years, and a year down the road, 
come back, our syllabus will have been updated through AI, through digital, and you can update your skills because what you learned two, three years ago is now out of date. Well, and that be I agree with what you're saying 100%. And I was, like I said earlier on, I've, I didn't go through the educational system to get to where I am. Um, but if you take like the top 10 most influential people, and I've never done this, but if you actually looked into it and saw where their education was, like if you look at Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, you know, even Elon Musk who create, create completed multiple facets of his education, Mark Zuckerberg, these people all dropped out of university. You know what I mean? And I just touched on the four people off the top of my head that have literally changed and molded the way our world works today. So it's hard for me to say that secondary education is important, but if you can't read, you are so far behind. You know what I mean? No matter where we are, no matter what we believe in, um, in the education process, you have to be able to read. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. And if you want to have an actual opinion of your own, you need to be able to read because the media is going to lead you down some goat trail that they want you to believe. And they hope that you don't deep dive into that because then you're going to find they're full of crap. And the only way our world can actually be a better place is if there's more educated people. I, I listen, I, I couldn't disagree with you more. I, I agree with you more. It's, um, it's so essential that we have for society, an educated workforce, that for society we have a, an educated population that understands politics and economics and geopolitics and is able to make an informed decision. I've only got to point two, and you'll agree with this, is the debate around vaccines, yes or no, <laughs> and, and how, how people have argued and quarreled, split families, over literally yesterday. literally splits yeah, families. absolutely literally. over over uh, over vaccinations and you know it's 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 very interesting now just moving on you and i met in clubhouse mm -hmm. and, and 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 so what role do you think social media plays within what you're doing does the fact that most people now are on social media would are a lot more comfortable with tech and and is is, is tech now becoming the place to go and he's almost and I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words here he's replacing physical buildings to learn yeah i i think you kind of hit it right on your the nail right on the head um people are now more comfortable with the idea of technology uh i but i think that it it, it also if anybody can think for themselves it's also scared them a little bit you know what i mean how many times have you uh talked in your house and you're like oh i need to pick up some tomatoes and now all of a sudden your phone's showing you some tomatoes at HEB. you know what i mean like the idea that you're being listened to all the time is a little bit frightening um but there i would say the vast majority of people around the world have accepted that you know what i mean so technology has been accepted in everybody's home you you either have a cell everybody has a cell you know what i mean um they're connected to it for hours a day. Uh, and that cell phone has more power today than what computers did 10 years ago that were running the country. You know what I mean? So the, the ability to reach technology has been a lot simpler too, right? So now it's in everybody's hands. We don't question it. Uh, now that the masses have it, it's not 
challenged near enough. Um, so yeah, I, I do think technology's uh, been adapted and accepted to the point where we can start moving in other directions. Um, there was, until COVID came, an argument that people of an older generation aren't as adept at, at using technology, but all the shopping apps show you the way people ordered their food during COVID, the fact that you can now order something from your local shop and it can be delivered in two, three minutes now. Mm -hmm. And the fact that drones are coming means the world is changing. And if you don't offer products like you do that accept and adopt to that, adapt to that change, then I think the traditional way of doing things, including education, is, is just not going to be around. It's just, it's just a totally new paradigm. People now can learn on the go. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, the convenience. And um, my CTO, Hernal, uh, has this statement in his WhatsApp category. And he says, the hardest problems within our organizations need to be handed to the laziest people in them because they'll find the best way to do it. And, and I couldn't agree more with the statement um, because people are lazy. Fundamentally, they are lazy. If you could walk in to um, a store and they put a hat on you for five minutes and it's going to teach you everything that you need to know for the next week, there would be lineups out the door for buildings like that. You know what I mean? Because they don't, people don't want to put in the work. Um, you've seen how shallow people are. It's important to be viewed on social media as this, you know, fit, attractive person. But instead of going to the gym, they just use a filter. You know what I mean? Like they'll lie to themselves to take the easy way out. And, and I think that's in anything. Uh, it, it takes a different type of person to put in the work. That's what stands, you know, entrepreneurs out from regular people. But um, we're going to see that in education as well. So we need to simplify and make it easier, no matter what it is. Carl, I'll tell you what I found fascinating, uh, and you've sort of already referred to it earlier. For someone who didn't have a proper education and dropped out, you set up a venture that's to do with education, uh, <laughs> which is quite extraordinary. So that, that tells me a number of things. That tells me you're quite comfortable going to areas that are new to you. You're quite comfortable tackling new ventures. So you seem to have all the ingredients of a serial entrepreneur, which you are. So let me now go back in history and, and ask you, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family or what, what, what took you into entrepreneurship and setting up one of many businesses, and we'll chat about them one by one. What, what took you into so entrepreneurship? I, had, I finally figured out the answer to this question a long time ago. Um, I, I came from a divorced family, right? So when my mom was at work or going to school, I was with my grandparents. And my grandpa was classified as a horse trader. And for me to simplify the definition of a horse trader, it's more or less somebody that can see the value in something that other people can't and then can turn around and sell it for more money. And I saw him do that with, you know, cattle or vehicles or, you know, just any type of item. He was always looking at it from a different angle and hanging out with them every day is my best friend. You start to pick up those things. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> somebody asked me what my first 
first business was. I was six years old when I started my first lemonade stand. Um, I was probably eight years old when I went and knocked on the neighbor's door to shovel his sidewalk from snow or cut his grass. You know what I mean? So the bug of, of working for myself and making money came at a very, very young age because my grandfather taught me how to do that. Uh, and I was very close to him. Um, we'd said that uh, I got kicked out of school at a young age and my mom said, you're going to get a job because you're not going to be a bum sitting around my house. And the job that I took, took me away on a plane and it was a fly in fly out job at that time. And my grandpa actually passed away while I was gone. Um, so that held on my shoulders very heavily. If you're going to do something so you can't be a part of something that's really important, you better make it worthwhile. Right. So, um, no matter what it's been, I've always looked at it like, okay, I need to make sure that I do this the best I can and make sure it's, there's no regrets because living with regret is something that you can never get away from. So what was the, I mean, you've referred to a couple of small ventures. So what was the <clears> first <throat> one that you threw yourself in and said, this is my journey now into entrepreneurship? So in Canada, where I was born uh, in the winter, uh, it snows and drilling industry was really big when I was a kid. And my parents or my dad and my grandfather, my dad's dad were in the oil field. So I was third generation oil field. <clears throat> so I'd go work in the oil field in the winter. And then in the summer, I came home and I started a landscaping company. My dad had rental properties and I had, I was rodeoing in the summer at the time and I'd learned how to pour concrete. And uh, when I did that, my dad asked me to fix some, some of his rental properties and I poured some concrete for him and he's like, Hey, let's start a, a concrete finishing company. I'll back it and you can do the work. And I thought that was a great idea. Um, what I didn't know was that the stock market was about to crash oh, and wow. that all my money would be tied up in the concrete company. My dad couldn't get his money out. So uh, I think I was 21 or 22 at the time. It, it's sink or swim. You, you, it's no longer an option at that point. You know what I mean? Everything you've worked for to get to a certain point is held ransom for lack of better terms if you don't go and do your job. So I, I did that. I built that concrete company. I was able to sell it um, and get out of that venture and focus on the oil field uh, where most of my experience had, had been in anyways. And then a, a buddy of mine called me. I was consulting on a rig. Um, he called me and he's like, hey, I've got this opportunity to put water trucks on the ice roads, which ended up being the Keystone Pipeline, which is a major project everybody knows about. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. I wish I could do it kind of thing. Um, and he called me an hour later and he's like, hey, I got you a job. I said, one, I'm in the middle of nowhere on a fly-in job. I can't get out. And two, I don't even have a water truck. And he said, well, um, I put my name on the line for you, so figure it out. Uh, so we figured out how to get a water truck up there. I leased one from some people. I put it up there. By the end of that winter, I ended up having 14 water trucks. Whoa. Um, Whoa. I thought it was a great opportunity. You know, you Whoa. go from zero to 14. Uh, the money was rolling in at that point. I'm like, I don't want to walk away from this. So I talked with the consultant on the project and he told me what he needed next. Um, and then just developed relationships with those people. So I grew that company from uh, zero to 35 employees over the next two years. We had, you know, lots of caterpillars and excavators, water trucks, steamers, uh, snow removal. We did all of that in the oil field. And then in 2015, the oil field crashed and uh, 
Uh, one of my biggest customers went bankrupt on me for several million dollars. And I was like, the best I can do is sell our assets, pay off our debt and start over. Um, You know, and when you go from living a life like that, quite a few things in life change. So I got divorced um, and I packed all my stuff up into a pickup and moved to America. So I've been in America for five years. Um, I came down here on an E2 investment visa. Uh, So my sponsors were selling a ranch. Uh, I went and did that. I thought it'd be a great opportunity. Uh, that deal didn't work out the way it was supposed to. So I went out on my own, started a rodeo company, um, was able to sell that to a partner, take that money, invest it into a uh, live entertainment business where we would do hybrid events inside stadiums, uh, you know, for seven to 12,000 people. And then right after we did our first event, COVID hit. And uh, there wasn't no stadiums to do any work in. So I kind of just wondered for a day or two what I was going to do. And then out of nowhere, somebody called me asking if I could help them find three ply masks. And I'm like, no idea. have no idea how to do it. I'll let you know if I hear anything. And literally I hung up the phone and a different friend called me and said, Hey, I have all these three, three ply masks, you know, where to sell them. And I was like, well, actually I do. And so we started selling PPE for COVID and uh, I'm not sure if anybody, if you had any experience in that, but you would get sent down some rabbit holes trying to find the goods that people wanted. And so many people lied about it just to try and get your money. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to build a facility. So we built the manufacturing facility in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We bought the Pepsi Cola plant um, from Puerto Rico and imported it in. Uh, and then we went to manufacturing like hand sanitizer and face masks. And uh, then we moved into car care products since the COVID and, and so on and so forth. But uh, we did all that during COVID and I learned how to do all of that. So in the last couple minutes that I've been telling you, I've gone from landscaping to oil field to entertainment to rodeo to manufacturing and now children's education. Um, the only thing that I can say about entrepreneurship is it's all the same uh, in my mind, unless you're a professional at any one thing, um, the fundamentals of business are the same. And Henry Ford came up with the concept a long time ago. Just put the smartest people in the room with you. You don't have to be the smartest person. You just have to put them in the room. So after I adapted the Henry Ford type mentality with entrepreneurship, I just said, I will, I know how businesses run. I know what they need to do. If you don't have no money, you don't have any business. If you have no customers, you have no money. It's really simple. Um, But in order to specialize in those things, I need to hire somebody to do that. And I've always just placed those people around me. So that's been, you know, the start to now kind of thing in a nutshell from 60,000 feet. Interesting. You, I mean, you gave me a a great sort of journey through your, through your entrepreneurship sort of, uh, well, journey itself. Now, it appears to me that you're good at spotting opportunities. Horse trading. Uh, and yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's why I went back to you when you first started about yeah. how you saw opportunities, seeing value in things that other people don't. And, and, and so would you say one of the key things for entrepreneurship is to be nimble enough to change tack because there's two schools of thoughts, Carl, isn't there? There's one is you could have a long-term strategy, stay focused, never move out of it. The other one is the quite the reverse, which is nimble, 
agile, and if you spot an opportunity, you're happy to throw away the strategy, just move quickly because you see something. Is that right? I think that that's probably my best quality is what you're saying there is being nimble and not being scared to pivot. I think a lot of companies fail because they think that this is my job. You know what I yeah. mean? This is what I'm designed to do. I'm a car salesman. I can only sell cars. But all of a sudden, there's a bicycle on the sidewalk to sell, you know, which you have a buyer for. But if you stay that car salesman, you've just missed that opportunity. Um, so I've always stayed nimble and I've always been open to other ideas. And that's literally what's driven me. I've, I haven't had a job uh, that I've worked for somebody else since I was, I think, 21 years old. I'm 36 now. And I don't even know if I could work for somebody else. That's a scary thought, right? Um, if anything ever happened, going to work for somebody else, just because I've worked for myself for so long and I've adapted to the challenges for so long. And the, my favorite part about business is, is creating the solution. You know what I mean? Hire enough people, they're going to find problems for you. Creating the solutions where I get my rush. So let me ask you, Carl, how do you... I'm trying to find the right words here. <laughs> How do you develop that skill of spotting opportunities that others don't? Is it innate or can, can you develop a sixth sense and you think, do you know something? I know I'm supposed to be going over there, but actually I think I should be going over there. What makes you different from, is that a skill or can that be learned? I, I think it can be learned. Um, I learned it from my grandfather at a young age. I didn't have the skill. like my mom's not an entrepreneur. My dad definitely isn't an entrepreneur. He's scared to death of making decisions uh, for himself, but he's, you know, C-suite level for somebody else, you know? So he's a successful guy, but he would never, ever work for himself. Um, so I learned it from my grandfather. When I learned the importance of reading was when I really started getting good at seeing opportunities. And when I created Ed Soma, I, I looked back at what, what made me successful. Yeah. And if I could pinpoint it to any one thing, it was being open to learning new ideas. And, uh, and after I identified what that was, then it made life a lot easier. And, and, and are you innately... Um, get a fun more right words here. Are you do you have that ability to take a risk and just go for it based on not optimal information but suboptimal, but enough <laughs> does that make sense? But enough yeah. for you, but it's another it's a bit, it's a bit so like a gut, it's, it's a bit like a gut. You have a gut feeling, you got enough information, but you go with your gut. Is that essential? Yeah, you, I, I listen to my gut a lot. Um, I listen to my gut a lot. But I read a book um, that Jeff, Jeff Bezos said, if you always wait for the time to come where you have enough, miss, enough information to make the proper decision, you already missed the opportunity. Yeah. So I don't make opportunities or all I need is maybe 60 to 70% of the information before I make a decision. And, and I base that 60 to 70% on, am I comfortable with and what's my gut say? I don't wait for 100% of it or else, like I said, that, that opportunity is already passed. I truly feel like um, the key things that entrepreneurs have that a lot of people don't is just making a decision and standing behind it. 
You know what I mean? Nobody wants to take accountability anymore. But as an entrepreneur, you have to take accountability. You're, you're the one leading, leading the outfit. You know what I mean? So uh, the moment you can take responsibility for everything in your life, I think is the moment you can become successful as an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs are, they're great on vision. They have a big, big idea. They're actually, mm -hmm. generally speaking, very good on detail. They seem to know everything, every little bit. Um, Executions so, so, where they lack. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so my question now is then, if you take into account that a, an entrepreneur likes to control everything, in, how easy is it to let go? How easy is it to let pass the detail down and say, right, you rock and roll with it? Because instinctively, an entrepreneur wants to keep control. You have to identify what you need to keep control of. Okay. Um, some of the people that work for me, I pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. If I need to do their job, I just need to not pay them. You know what I mean? So I've accepted that with the Henry Ford philosophy, just put the smartest person in the room inside it with you. And then you don't have to do that job anymore. Uh, and I've lived by that. So I've been very fortunate. Like I meet with all my key members uh, of all my businesses every day. Uh, I, I, and I've learned or I've handed over all my other businesses to partners and I just get a report once a month from them now because I know that I have to stay engaged in this in order to be successful with this needs 100% of my attention. And the thing that's driven me so much more in this field is that it can change lives. It's not about money anymore. I've learned how to make money in all my other businesses. It's about the why. And like Simon Sinek, another book, um, you know, what's your why or start with why I think is the book. I read that yeah. and this is the first time in my life. I know why I'm doing this. And to get that much clarity in what you do just totally changes everything. I don't have to be. And to get back to your question, I don't have to be the person that has all the answers because I'm not. I'm not the person to be our chief education officer, but I was able to, you know, bring on uh, Dr. Diane Burton, who has a PhD in early learning for children's education. You know what I mean? I couldn't do that. I would, it would take 12 years of my life to fill that role going back. So when she makes a decision for our company, I know that she's making the decision with all of her learning and all of her knowledge to make the best decision for us. So I trust them. Um, the minute I don't trust people is the minute I get rid of them couple of things you've just said there uh firstly it's clarity clarity of vision um there's a brilliant book called the power power of clarity um and I, I interviewed the author recently fantastic book really worth reading that but you mentioned clarity you also mentioned that actually it's not the money and most successful entrepreneurs the money comes afterwards but they're yeah. driven by they're driven by a bigger purpose um so i suppose the other thing you've shown, and I'd like to know how you did it, is resilience. You've had lots of ups and downs. And, and how did you build that? How did you build that resilience? I mean, you've had some brilliant ups as well. But how did you build that resilience? Where, where does that come from? If I was to pinpoint uh, any one thing, grow up poor. Um, grow up poor. Be the kid in school that doesn't have anything and you know as a parent we're all working so that never happens to our kids but be the kid that has to wear the same thing to school five days a week because your parents can't afford to buy you anything um and and be on 
be bullied by that mean girl. You know what I mean? That totally changes the perspective in life. And I'm not saying by any means telling any parents to go do that to their children because it was horrifying, but it <laughs> yeah. just gave me so much motivation, you know, so much like pick yourself up. You can only come home crying so many days from school as a little kid before you're like, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. You know what I mean? And, and you find ways to stand out. For me, it was hockey. I, I went and busted my ass at hockey because uh, where I came from, that was important. You know what I mean? So once you start making AAA and the elite hockey teams, it doesn't matter where you come from anymore. You know what I mean? So people look past that. And I just passed like my, my drive in sports onto my drive in anything else. So I went, you know, from hockey to rodeo to, to business. And it was just wanting to be the best, you know, having a chip on your shoulder. Do you think, um, interesting, you made that comment um, about sports. Do you think being as good as you were at sports gave you a bit of a head start when it came to being focused, long-term strategy, and that resilience you've talked about? Yeah, I think so. The sports definitely made me understand the importance of hard work and preparation uh another book i can't remember what it was but it said proper and prior preparation prevents piss poor performance and, and i believe that 100 you know what i mean like most people would say you know how do you prep for anything you know prepping for this phone call even um i changed my shirt two times i checked the lighting i made sure my computer was plugged in you know this was such a simple task um, you know, I made sure my kids were far enough away that they weren't going to be interrupting me to a lot of people. They would have just picked up the phone and away they went. You know what I mean? But every item in life that you want to be successful, you have to prepare for. So by not planning for something, you plan to fail. So it, it's really simple. Set a plan, be successful. Don't set a plan, fail. I'll tell you, Carl, for somebody who got kicked out of school, you've read a lot of books. <laughs> and when I, say I, when I say read a lot of books, I didn't pick up a single book in my life until a rodeo accident. My mom brought a book uh, for me in the hospital. It was called The Secret by Rhonda Burton. Okay. Uh, and it literally just changed my whole mindset. You know, there was wow. a, a, light, wow. a, 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 a line in that book when it says, and I think it was Bob Proctor that said it in the book, but when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it just made so much sense to me. You know what I mean? You can be negative about anything and that's all you're going to have is negative fall in your life. But the moment you change the way you're looking at something, you, you can pull out a positive. And I was doing an interview two days ago and they said, how do you deal with roadblocks? I said, I don't believe in roadblocks. Roadblocks are opportunities to educate yourself. So there's no oh. such thing as a, a roadblock. You know what I mean? It's like just it. another opportunity. And that comes from just changing the way you look at things. And it's so important to, to be smart in so many different fields. And that's, I guess, how I pick up the ability to see so many different things. You know what I mean? Like, if you focus on one thing all the time, you're going to be a doctor or a PhD in that field. But that's all you're going to be good at. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong. I'd want the person operating on me to be good at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care if they can do anything else. Yeah. So there is a need for education, secondary education, doctors, lawyers. These people need to be professionals in their field. But for me as an entrepreneur, I need to be a professional in listening to people, 
spotting needs and opportunities. And um, that's what I've really focused on my whole life. Carl, before I finish on the last question, I thought it was fascinating what you've just said. There are, there are clear occupations where you need real expertise. You've just talked about a surgeon. Mm-hmm. But the majority of people aren't in that kind of occupation where they need real technical expertise. And almost, it's fascinating what you said, almost we're asking everyone else to be entrepreneurial because such is the rate of innovation and technology today's job is going to be redundant tomorrow and you need to be able to pivot as you said you need to be able to scan the environment and predict where the next opportunity might come so that you can be trained or educated and be able to move into that place because we all can't be doctors we all can't be dentists the majority of people you're asking and i think you put it brilliantly need to be entrepreneurial in their mindset to be able to get on in life so uh somebody that i've just recently started engaging with is the yang family andrew yang ran for president in america ran for new york mayor but he has a book i can't remember the title of it but he talks about how um technology is going to take away uh you know all the entry-level jobs and that's apparent you know what i mean we have online assistance and everything like that so unless we start giving away more money, which is completely, in my opinion, the worst thing we can do for an economy. And they actually, a a teacher just did a study on it um, at one of the universities in America where he allowed, you know, he grouped his class together to do, they were all gonna get the same grade. And they all agreed on it at the start. And then the best students in the grade went out their first test, studied for it, passed it with flying colors the people that were lazy didn't do anything and the people in the middle just depended on the smart people to get them through and they got through that test and the class as a whole passed well by the second test some of the people that weren't quite as committed didn't study so the grade came down farther well by the third test the best students in class were sick of carrying all the other students So they didn't study either. And then they all failed. And by giving money away to society, that's what we're doing. Pretty soon the people that lead this world that that make 96% of the money and only once they get 50% of that money or 20% of that money, they're not gonna do 96% of the work anymore. They're just gonna be pissed on it. There's no point. And the whole world's gonna implode at that point or whatever country is doing that. So I, I truly feel that everybody as a whole they need to do, you know, they need to leave a legacy. And that's what drives me. What's your legacy going to be? Um, I've always been scared. Who's going to show up to my funeral? You know what I mean? Is it going to be full of people that talk about how I impacted so many lives or is it going to be empty? And that's a scary thought. Um, so I, I've always wanted to leave a legacy. And I feel like if I could give anybody advice, just ask yourself how you can make a change. And if it's just a change for your household that day, that's great. The next day it's going to be, you know, maybe your neighbor or your community and just try and make a difference, no matter what that difference is every day. And eventually you're going to find a self-worth. You know what I mean? Well, um, it's been fascinating. We've spoken about being able to pivot. We've spoken about building teams. Uh, You've spoken about building resilience. You've talked about how to delegate. 
for somebody who got kicked out of school, you've read a lot of books. I tell you, I love some of the quotes you had. <laughs> My goal is to read uh, fifty-two or yeah, fifty-two books a year. That's that's what I shoot for. A book a week. Well, it's, it's brilliant. You've talked about having clarity. Uh, you, you spoke about having hunger and how to deal with with problems and and building resilience. So I suppose my last question is, you've exited and started a lot of businesses. One, when do you decide to exit? And secondly, now, even at this young age, I think you've sort of hinted at it. What will success look like for you? At the and end I'm of glad the that I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I've never ever chosen an exit. It's always okay. chosen me. Okay. Um, I always believe that uh, you need to not be scared to open a door. You know what I mean? So I've chosen my exits based off of the doors that I open. And I'm always opening the next door. And I'm always deciding which doors to close behind. me. So I've never chosen ex exit. Um, I'm exiting a bunch of my businesses right now because I'm asking people to invest in to Ed Soma. We're actually raising money right now. So in order for, and I've never done that before. I've never raised money in a business. I've always built them, you know, brick by brick with my own yeah. capital. Now that we're asking for people to invest in Ed Soma, I need to be 100% committed to this with no distractions. Um, and that's what people deserve when they're going to put their trust into what I'm doing. Um, and the reason why I know that it's the right time with that is because I can change the projections of millions of children around the world and one day i want to see somebody step on as president of the united states or you know the leader of different countries around the world and say i learned how to do my journey through ed soma and i just feel like that would be the most rewarding thing in the world but if i could you know pick any one thing is just to change the path of a child where they take themselves out of prison or you know gangs and go a better direction and there's no better feeling than that in the world. So that's what I have right now. So I know that this is my calling. Carl, um, it's always fascinating to meet an entrepreneur. It's even more fascinating when the business they have hopefully will change society. And, and, and I think some of, the, some of the nuggets you've given today have just been absolutely superb. So I'm going to be watching you from the other side of the pond. I, I appreciate sense, it. I can sense an IPO coming. And, <laughs> that's and, our, that's and, our and, direction. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know something? I'm then going to be waiting for to hear about your next business and the one after that and the one after that. And listen, well, thank I, you for taking that time. But I, go on, sorry. I want to touch on that. One last thing that you said. Yeah. Um, and it was another book and I can't even remember what it is. We do have intentions to take this company public at some point in time just to make sure okay. the investors get their money back. But yeah, people yeah. step away from businesses when they no longer have value to bring to that business. And that's my true feelings. So hopefully that I have enough value to bring to Ed Soma until the day I retire. Um, hopefully. <laughs> well, for someone who's such an avid book reader, I'll tell you what I'm going to be waiting for finally. I'm going to be waiting to read your book. So good luck. And with we that are one. working on that, actually. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you <laughs> go. Well, listen, listen. It's been brilliant, Carl. Fascinating, fascinating conversation. Listen, have a great Sunday. Thank you for taking that time. Thank and you. Your valuable I appreciate weekend. it. And uh, and and I look forward to watching your progress from this side of the pond. And you never know, 
because it's such a digital product, it'll be available everywhere. So yeah, we are going to launch it um, in all English speaking locations at the same time. So you guys will see it the same day they see it in America. Brilliant. Well, look, Carl, I'm going to go and have a cup of tea and some biscuits. And and I (laughs) wish you a a, a really great day and a great Sunday, what remains of it. And uh, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and if so please do leave a review it all helps in promoting the podcast oh and by the way have a great day